and welcome to 13, the bi-weekly podcast where Colgate University community members answer 13 questions about their work. I'm your host, Daniel DeVries, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Colgate Director of Off-Campus Study, Joanna Halvey-Bowles, and Associate Professor of Geology and Associate Dean of the Faculty of Global and Local Initiatives, Martin Wong. Joanna became Colgate's Director of Off-Campus Study in 2016. Prior to her arrival on campus, she worked for 25 years at the Institute for Study Abroad, an international organization responsible for the management of 70 programs and university partnerships. Joanna earned her Bachelor of Arts from Emory University and a Master's degree in Global and International Education from Drexel University. Martin joined Colgate's geology department as associate professor in 2005. He earned his Bachelor of Arts in Geosciences from Williams College and his PhD from the University of California, Santa Barbara. Joanna and Martin, welcome to 13. Thanks so much for having us, Dan. All right. So uh, I like to start things um, with folks who haven't been on the show before to really start by uh, digging into what your area entails, and specifically here, off-campus study. So curious uh, what the Office of Off-Campus Study does at Colgate uh, and how many different programs you support. Well, I'm happy to be here. Thanks so much for the opportunity. So uh, the the Office of Off-Campus Study supports off-campus study. And people ask, well, why isn't it study abroad? And that's because we operate programs both in the United States and internationally. In fact, we operate opportunities in 50 countries. 107 off-campus approved programs, those are programs not operated by Colgate, but we are the number one institution in the United States that's a baccalaureate institution sending students for semester opportunities abroad. And that's very exciting. And the reason for that is because we have an unusually large number of semester-long faculty-led programs, 17 to 20, every year. And these go to many of the same places every year, but there's a wide range that don't go. They may go every other year. And in addition to that, we have extended study programs, which are on-campus courses followed by a field experience of three weeks. And those go in January and May, and there are between five and eight of those every year. I was wondering if you could dig into a little bit of the difference between a Colgate study group and an approved group and the extended study course. Um, I guess, how do they all differ? And um, is there a, a benefit to choosing one over the other? Yeah, so I can I can start, and Joanna can jump in as as needed. The so I'll start with the one of the di- distinctions between what you said. The extended studies are really intended as short term programs, so they are typically paired with a Colgate course that happens on campus, and then there's a three week experience that happens after that. That's an add on credit, and so there are lots of different. Like this is a really creative and interesting way to to really have a laboratory for off campus study where people can do things that are maybe not like appropriate for a whole semester. But for example, a, a course could study something on campus and then go to Uganda or go to Siberia or something like really unique and interesting. So that's kind of our laboratory for those kinds of experiences off campus. 
And then there are those semester-long programs. And so that's where the distinction between Colgate's own semester-long study groups and then the approved programs, which are the non-Colgate programs, um, that's where that distinction happens. So um, Colgate, I just want to emphasize something that Joanna said, and that is like how unique and, and amazing it is that Colgate runs so many of its own semester-long study groups. There's no other small liberal arts institution that runs the number of programs that we do. That's something that's really unique, and it allows us to do like really, I think, important and special things with our curriculum. These are our programs. They are designed by our departments, by our faculty. They involve only Colgate students typically, and they, they can be tailored to really fit in with our curriculum and just with, with kind of the Colgate ethos in general. Mm. And so that's like a really special and unique thing. So like Joanna said, we run, run 18 to 20 programs every year, and that is a, a huge investment on Colgate's faculty's part, on departments, and on the off-campus study office. But it's because Colgate really values that experience that everyone is willing to put those resources in to make that to make that happen rather than kind of outsource it to other programs. Mm. Um, the approved programs are run by a range of different provider programs. Um, and there's lots of different reasons that a student might choose to do a Colgate program versus a, an approved program. Um, I think I talked a little bit about the, the benefits of Colgate's own study groups. But there are some things that, that Colgate just can't do, right? We can't do everything. And so a lot of the approved programs really serve to, to fill important gaps in what Colgate study groups are able to offer. Um, I think especially kind of some of the, 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 the niche but really important kinds of things. For example, like being able to study in Nepal or you know something like that that is really unique. Um, that's not something that, that Colgate can probably offer, but an approved program can do an amazing job at offering something like that. Or something that's really you know, pretty narrowly tailored academically that Colgate doesn't typically offer. Those are great opportunities where approved programs can play an important role in thinking about that. Joanna, did you have anything you wanted to add? Yeah, I think Martin did a great job in encapsulating the flavor of each of these options generally. I think the other thing that students really talk a lot about is how much they get from being on these individual types of programs. Students really are drawn to the Colgate faculty-led semester program. It's a great way to, especially if you haven't traveled very widely, it's a wonderful way to have that experience and have a faculty leader who is mentoring you academically and also exposing you to the culture of the, of the individual institution or location. And I think when we get students who are returning, they are the students who, in, who begin to advertise that option for the next group. Mm -hmm. And that's very exciting to watch. Uh, and for those of our listeners who are alums, these programs, some of them, go back decades. And so the first program to go internationally, which is still operating, is the London Economic Study Group. That's the first international group that went in 1962 for the first time. Hmm. The oldest program in the United States that's in Washington, D.C., as a sort of laboratory for learning about our nation's capital is the Washington, D.C. study group, the first of its kind in the nation. That began in 1935. 
Wow. So we have a lot of really interesting opportunities for students that have legacy work and some really interesting cultural immersion programs in Japan, in Germany, in Spain. Students can take advantage of learning a language, staying in a host family, and really becoming a part of daily life in a different country. Not many of us can have that opportunity once we leave university. Hmm. It's hard to just go into a new location and adapt to the culture for a semester, really learn about what happens here that's different from what happens where I come from, and develop lifelong attachments to that area. And I think that's the most exciting part of all of this. It's interesting that you mentioned the history because that was uh, going to be one of my next questions. And I, and I understand that the, the first off-campus study group in some shape or form goes back to even earlier, 1905, but it wasn't a formal program per se as it is now. I guess what um, – do you know – why did Colgate decide that having students study away from campus for a semester was so important? I guess what what happened or what was the discussion or what is the overall philosophy as to why we wanted that for as many students as possible? I'm going to turn that to Joanna because she, as part of the Bicentennial, she did a whole research project about the history of study abroad at Colgate. So I think she's probably best positioned to answer that. If it's the international aspect, there's a kind of fascinating tale to tell. And of course, small institutions like Colgate, particularly ones that are in rural areas of the United States, have a unique opportunity to talk about the world in very um, specific ways. And it's really great to talk about the world and then be able to take the students to experience what they have been learning about in their classrooms. And that is what led people to begin to do this. It was really a post-war, post-World War II effort to try and incorporate people-to-people uh, uh, -people friendships, academic-to-academic -academic linkages that talked about peacetime and not about warfare. And interestingly, Colgate is one of three institutions in the mid-1950s that was given money by the then uh, State Department of State, um, which was a newly formed part of government, to try this out. And the first place that Colgate took students to was actually Mendoza, Argentina, mm. as an experiment. And it was to further their Spanish language skills, their ideas of politics and economics. And it was really uh, insightful. And the students and their faculty members decided that they needed to work in a service opportunity once they got there. Um, the other aspect of all this is the development of area studies and the idea that there was a way to incorporate knowledge of economics, politics, um, anthropology was a burgeoning field. These, all of these things sort of came together in a way to think about the world and think about global aspects of our society, which was just in its beginning then. And a lot of the university faculty talked to each other within New England and New York to get this sort of thing started. 
Before the pandemic hit, I'm curious, what was the typical number of students that would go abroad every semester? Um, we typically run on average about 450 students a year combined on both uh, approved programs and on Colgate's own study groups. Um, again, that's a pretty phenomenal number, right? So that means that like more than half of every class is participating typically in their junior year uh, on these study abroad programs, and that's a really large number. Mm. So that just, I think, demonstrates the, the appetite and hunger for students to be able to participate in these kinds of, of opportunities off campus. Um, and so that's kind of our, our, our typical numbers. Obviously, that's been in, in flux because of some of the challenges that we've had as related to COVID. Um, but I think we're very confident that, that, that after the pandemic is over, whenever that might be, um, you know, obviously, hopefully we're in the, the tail end of that. Um, but we, we start to see really that, that interest in these programs returning um, and a real hunger, I think, among both students and faculty to re-engage with the world again, uh, I think demonstrating how important thinking about global issues and our connectivity, our collaboration across governments and countries is as we think about a pandemic or any other kind of, of issue really, I think just um, really highlights to students and faculty how important those kinds of programs are. So thinking about the start of the pandemic when it first hit in 2020, what was the immediate impact to our off-campus study groups? And in particular, did we have students abroad at the time? Like what was the, was there a challenge in getting everyone home? I mean, I was, I was around for this, but I think most people don't know like what happened uh, at that time. Well, uh, you might remember that uh, it, it happened quite quickly. We were talking about the uh, impact to the campus here, and we began to see things happen and evolve very quickly, faster than we were making decisions, really. And in March of 2020, uh, during the spring break here, when President Casey suggested that students return home, we were also looking at the same things and how feasible would it be to bring students home from across the world and there was an announcement uh, by the administration, the, the government, the U.S. government, to, uh, to return people home as soon as possible. And so we started to do that. And I would say it took about two weeks for us to get our 10 groups home. It was very difficult because students had uh, booked their tickets as a round-trip ticket and then had to get in line to call the airlines. And they were spending three, four, five hours online trying to get their mm -hmm. return flights changed. And in the end, a lot of students actually had to just purchase one-way, very expensive tickets, up to $2,000, to get home because there was another thing that was going on where the airlines were actually, the U.S. airlines were carriers, where the U.S. airline and carriers were simply stopping those routes. And so we had Delta Airlines suddenly wasn't flying to France uh, uh, anymore. And so they were saying, go with this airline, this airline, and everybody was trying to get out at the same wow. time. So it was a very stressful time. And uh, I'm really proud of how our students and faculty did. The faculty stayed on if it was a faculty program. 
to wait until the last student had gone. In a couple of situations, we have international students on our programs all the time, and we had some Chinese students who could not get home. Hmm. And those were the ones that ended up staying at our partner universities in wherever they were until the end of the semester. And it took them six, eight weeks to get home because the flights were not operating to China any longer. So it was, it was a very exciting <laughs> and stressful time, but um, the students really learned something from it. We did uh, some outreach after students had completed their programs. And don't forget, they came home and then had to adjust to being online, just as everyone had to here. But they, had, they were working in real time with courses that were 12 hours ahead of them or the next day from them or whatever. And it was, it was very difficult. But a number of them wrote to us with information on what it was like and how precious they felt that opportunity had been in retrospect, that they were glad they made friends with local people, that they were experiencing daily life. And I understand what it's like to do public transportation in this place or to eat this meal, which is so impactful to me. And I think that that group has some marvelous tales to tell. Yeah, I just wanted to echo some of Joanna's comments. It's, it's hard to think back to that time when we knew so little about what this virus was, what COVID was, how it spread, how risky it was. You know, in, in December, I think, you know, Joanna and I talked about this virus that was had emerged in China, and we were kind of keeping an eye on it, and it was starting to trickle out into, into other countries, and no one really knew, like, how dangerous it actually was, how that it was going to spread so quickly and so, so rapidly. And I think it's easy to look back in hindsight, at, you know, and, and think about that, but we just knew so little at that point. Mm-hmm. So no one really knew what was the right answer for how, how, we sh- how anyone should be behaving in those, er- those early times. And then the, the rapidity, uh, you know, how quickly that situation evolved where I think the, the major precipitating event that I think Joanna was alluding to was the, the closure of borders to European travelers to the U.S. by the administration. That was seen very much or there was a worry that U.S. citizens were not going to be able to return as well. That turned out not to be true, but that was not very well communicated. And it was, as a result, basically... Every single student on any study abroad in Europe tried to get back within, you know, a, a few days, essentially. And that was, I think, triggering part of the chaos for mm-hmm. the return that Joanna was alluding to. Um, so that was just a, a tremendously challenging experience. But, you know, I'm so proud of the off-campus study staff and how they handled that challenging situation. And just, you know, as Joanna said, a, a huge shout out to our students, and especially our faculty directors, that helped students to navigate those challenging times mm-hmm. and make sure that, that everyone got, got back eventually to where they, they needed to be. Well, now that we are all pandemic old hands and we're, you know, in fact, recording this podcast with masks in the studio right now, and it's kind of a part of daily life at the moment, but I am uh, wondering about current uh, programs that are going on right now. So, Everyone had to come home last year in 2020. So what is happening with off-campus study right now in the fall of 2021? 
Well, we're very delighted to say we have six study groups off campus, one in New York City, close to home, but far enough away that they're having adventures of their own, and five groups that are internationally based, all in Europe. And in fact, Europe is the place where everybody who's studying abroad is studying, except we have one student in the Middle East. Um, it has been challenging to rediscover after a year without study abroad, uh, our partners uh, being robust and able to admit students. We're very cautious about the ethics of sending students to locations where their healthcare systems may be broken or inoperable in ways that they might have been previously. So we are looking at things like that when considering where, whether a location is viable. But we're uh, pleased to say that we have 100 students abroad this semester, which is um, really very exciting, and that we have a huge number of applicants for next semester. And while we have had to cancel, many programs that were faculty-led programs for this semester, and we've canceled four of them for the spring, we still have eight of them going in the spring, and we still have uh, over 150 students applying for non-Colgate programs. So we will have well over 200 students, mm. but probably 250 students for the spring, it looks like, which is... Um, which is really more than we normally expect uh, and very exciting as a result. And the, the reports that we're getting back, at least so far, are that you know, despite all of the challenges, faculty and students are having really great experiences together, nice. you know, even though they're having to deal with new things like we all are. <laughs> but you know, th these are special programs, and students and faculty are finding ways to make that work to retain that that special experience that they're having. Um, and so we're just really happy so far with how those programs are going this fall. And we imagine that that's going to continue uh, this spring. And again, we need to do a shout out for our students and faculty who have been very flexible for this semester. We moved a group from Australia. Australia's borders remain closed and will be closed for the, sp for the spring semester as well to US uh, visiting students. So we moved the Australia group to Denmark for the, for this fall. It's kind of like Australia. It's kind of like Australia. <laughs> Denmark is and, the Australia of Europe. <laughs> <laughs> and we've really found that students were receptive to that. They really wanted to get going and do something exciting. And they're, they're um, engaged and having a really wonderful time. Many of those students are living with Danish families. Mm. And so having a very intimate experience with the culture uh, and I think that in some ways, sometimes things happen for a reason, and they've, they've been very positive. So I think that that flexibility has shown us that it's possible to change something that you thought may not be ch changeable into something that works well so long as everybody is willing to give it a try. And are the reports from Denmark are very, very positive. The students are really enjoying themselves and uh, gung-ho about their location and all that they're enjoying there. Is studying abroad something where students have to pay a large sum to go? Is this only something that's only available to 
small number of students who can afford it? Or does Colgate have some options to help people uh, study abroad? Um, I can start that one. Colgate is tremendously generous um, as far as their support of all students for attending these programs. So most of these programs do have some additional cost over what a typical semester at Colgate costs uh, normally. And so financial the financial aid packages at Colgate are actually adjusted so that if you receive financial aid, uh, for whatever that additional portion is over a typical semester at Colgate, the financial aid basically covers that additional bump up so that there's no penalty, there's no barrier for students that are aided to be able to participate in these programs. So that's just a huge investment that Colgate has made to, to really level the playing field for students to be able to participate in these programs. Uh, and that's, that's an amazing um, feature of, of our institution. That's awesome. When should students start thinking about their off-campus study options? How do they learn more? Like, what is the pipeline for students to kind of get into uh, an approved program or a Colgate program? We recommend that students start thinking about this and start planning for their off-campus experience as soon as they get to campus. As soon as they select their first semester of courses and they know what their interests are, every year in October, we have our study group fair, and it's a big reveal and a big celebration. It's in the Hall of Presidents. Uh, this year, it's on October 6th from 4 to 5 p.m., and we have every faculty member who's leading a group for the 22-23 academic year, either in the fall or the spring, or uh, they are taking a group on an extended study in this spring, which would be spring 22, and the application season is just about on top of us. So these are opportunities for them to connect with the students and to talk about what they intend to do where and where they intend to do it. And the fun part is that they bring information and tchotchkes from all over the world to display on their tables. And we are there, and the financial aid office is there, and the registrar's office is there. And we, we have a big celebration and lots of ways for students to get questions answered. And we encourage first years to do that because it's a great way to just be exposed to it without any of the pressure to have to choose. And so this is an opportunity for them. We actually have brochures in our office on tips for choosing because that is the big issue. How do you narrow it down? There's so many opportunities. And so we have some ideas about that. What is your major? How can you get credit for your program? Uh, what do you want to study? Are you pursuing a minor that you'd, you, maybe a minor language that you would like to fulfill? So you want to go and be able to practice that mm. language. These are opportunities for students, uh, and they can, the world is their oyster. They can go so many places. And so starting early is key. However, the sophomore year is the cultural norm at Colgate. So this fall, for our sophomores, they will be applying for next year's academic opportunities to study abroad, whether it's a study group or going on an approved program. And students can take uh, financial aid for one course of semester, one study group, and one extended study. So students can do more than one opportunity during the course of their career, provided they plan early and meet with their academic advisors. 
How are the countries selected that Colgate study groups travel to? I mean, I know there's some that have a legacy, like the London study group, um, but I presume others are newer. And uh, to add on to that, um, how are the faculty selected? Do they do they all fight, or is it uh, something where the people volunteer and there's only a few? Like, how do, how does that all work? It seems like it would be really popular um, among the faculty to lead a group. There's a, a cage match, <laughs> faculty page. No, um, maybe we can start with the country selection and go from there. So, like you said, there are certainly legacy programs where we have doing programs there for decades, right? Generations of Colgate students have attended those. And then there there are lots of new ones. So some of the newest ones that we've added are New Zealand. Uh, we were scheduled to run a program in Trinidad, which would have been a new location for us, except COVID intervened. So hopefully we'll get back to that. Um, there's no single answer that I can give you for the country selection. Many of these are operated out of departments or programs at Colgate. And so in in many cases, not all, but many of the country selection is based on what the the tie is to the academics, right? So the, uh, you know, ALST program, uh, Africana and Latin American Studies program at Colgate um, runs programs in the Caribbean. So the Trinidad program was selected in part based because of its ties to that particular academic interest. So ditto lots of other ones. There are other kinds of study groups that we operate that are kind of cross-disciplinary or open to a range of different academic programs. So the the theme of it changes year over year, depending on the faculty member that's taking it. Um, so the, our newest study group, or one of our newest ones in New Zealand, is scheduled that way or arranged in that way, um, where New Zealand was selected because of its kind of uniqueness as a small island nation that has lots of particular characteristics. You know, for one, it's um, kind of retention of uh, Maori culture and language as an integral part of the of the culture of New Zealand um, as, as one particular thing. Another would be its unique ecology and kind of environmental setting, or it's, you know, it's um, kind of interaction with the, the, the global stage or, you know, how it can um, interact with the globe in unique ways because of its kind of small island setting. COVID being one example, it kind of could close its borders entirely sure. and kind of keep COVID uh, essentially out. Um, so, so that's like a, a really different way of selecting a, a, a location. And the, the selection process just varies based on sort of what, what the overall goals of the, the study group are. Um, as far as the, the faculty selection, each of the programs that we operate has its own steering committee that's run by faculty. And so that steering committee then will go ahead and put a call out for proposals, uh, people that are interested in, in running programs, and then they'll evaluate those um, those proposals based on a range of criteria. Um, but that's kind of the the general selection process. Okay. Um, they they are super popular, but it's also can be challenging sometimes for faculty to be able to to take a group, depending on kind of their their life stage or other you know, personal circumstances. It's it's great to be able to travel with your family if, if a faculty member has a family, but it also is is challenging. Or, you know, your spouse might have a, a job that doesn't permit traveling, right? So um it's it's complicated, but but it, yes, I think there there is a really large demand and interest among faculty to 
to participate in these groups, in part because, of the, you know, the academics are so, it's so interesting to participate academically in this kind of endeavor with students. Can you talk a little bit about safety abroad and how Colgate helps to keep students safe when they're traveling the world? What do they do if there's a, an emergency, they need to go to the hospital or, you know, any other kind of issue that may arise? Yeah, great question, Dan. So, of course, that's a large uh, portion of how we plan for these programs. And uh, we not only in the identification of the location, what kinds of uh, supports and resources are available to our groups in those areas, but also what sorts of risks are there in those areas. So we identify those by area, and we also review them from time to time. And then we also have a director manual that is generic for every faculty director, but also uh, ha they have a special unique chapter devoted to safety in that region. And we also have insurance coverage for all students going on our programs. And it's um, a safety insurance, but it's also medical insurance, and they can go and get routine care. And if they have, if they are in need of hospitalization or an operation, which occasionally occurs, that all can be arranged. It's international insurance designed for being outside the United States. So it's specific for the study abroad market that we use, and it's very effective, and it's taken everywhere. So that's very useful. We also have an insurance carrier called International SOS. And this is an umbrella carrier that works with, uh, works with risk analysis and then putting in place all sorts of resources for students and faculty to be able to look at on a moment's notice. And so that if students are traveling independently, for instance, and they've got the app for International SOS, they can see, well, what are they saying about train travel to this place? Or what about the city environment in this place that I'm planning to visit? Hmm. And so it's a, a, a real um, helpmate. But of course, this is a campus extension, so we also encourage faculty to uh, reach out to back home if they have any concerns about students or if students themselves do. And we, will, we have lots and lots of local um, partners that we put in place to help our groups to be successful, uh, whether it's mental health care coverage that they need therapy while they're abroad or they have asthma or some other illness that they need to be treated for. All of those things can happen uh, so long as we plan for it in advance, and, and we've got all those mechanisms in place. Students at Colgate also come from a, a wide, diverse background, set of backgrounds. You know, they come from all over the world, but they also come, you know, from, from all around the country. And I'm curious what um, or does the office do anything in particular to help students from different cultural backgrounds um, navigate culture shock in going to a new place that, you know, may not be like their hometown here? Yeah, so we actually do a pre-departure course for every semester-long study group. Um, it's not a course, really, but it's a, a course of meetings. And during those meetings, we work with students very strongly on cultural identity, understanding what, why they want to go 
and be a participant on a program and what kinds of personal and academic goals they're hoping to achieve. And we talk about setting goals helps you to formulate a wellness response when you are abroad and getting through the culture shock. So there's a very familiar uh, analogy in the world of education abroad um, called the iceberg analogy. And if you would picture an iceberg uh, in the ocean and you can see it sticking out of the water, that's the analogy that when you go and live in a host culture for the first time, you're frequently seeing that part of the iceberg and assuming that's where the differences are. I can see that and therefore that's what I have to adjust to. It's the 90% under the water mm. that students tend to have difficulties with. It may be in patterns of speech they're using. It may be in the way that they are trying to learn in a, in a foreign university where they think, oh, I can just adapt my learning the way I do it at Colgate. And the courses are taught completely differently. They're speaking English, but nothing seems to make sense. <laughs> it's that navigation of difference that can, be, that can really upend students and create culture shock. So we talk about that. We also address different groups of students. So students who haven't traveled abroad, um, who come from disadvantaged backgrounds, we talk to them separately. Often we, we go and we navigate the campus. So we talk about off-campus study with different groups. When we're recruiting and giving information sessions, allowing those groups to come, to come forward and ask questions that help them feel comfortable um, in, in their skin and in their, in their information zone. What do I need to know that I don't feel comfortable necessarily in a big group asking? Um, and so we create opportunities for students to ask us one-on-one, -on -one, and we create linkages with, with the campus to help us to um, help with diverse groups and, and who have different needs. I could just add on to a couple of things Joanna said. Um, one is that that very much is a, a real effect, but we really want to make sure that students push through that and don't kind of retreat back to their own, you know, their own group or or whatever it is, and really do have the opportunity to engage in whatever community that they're in, because that's really going to be the fullness of that experience if they are really engaging with the community, engaging with people in a day-to-day -day way. And that's so important to help students to be able to, to do that. And then the, the flip side is that, you know, one of the things our office thinks about and, and tries to help students with is the reverse culture shock. So the, the shock of coming back to the United States after being abroad, you know, that can be equally as profound in, in many ways as far as a, a change. It's, again, a completely different institution, different cultural norms. And so we, we do a a number of different kinds of events and, and, and things to help students return to coming back to the U.S. and coming back to campus and reacclimating while retaining, you know, all of those important experiences that they had uh, on their programs. What do you see for the future of off-campus study at Colgate? Do you foresee continued growth or is it right size and it's just a matter of picking countries or... Uh, I, I guess, you know, where do you see the office, you know, five, ten years from now? Joanna's giving me a funny look here. You know, this, is, <laughs> this is something that we talk a lot about. Uh, 
the future of study abroad is is Colgate's to design, really, and it's based on the uh, the, the 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 best part about Colgate and off-campus study is the legacy of a tradition that has carried on for years from an institution that was all male to a to an institution that embraced women uh, in their degree programs and then evolved continuously in types of programming that they've offered over the decades. And I think that's part of the future, too, is adapting to new things and to new realities um, and to new student interests. And all of those things are going to be a constant in what we're doing. Uh, and I think what's exciting and has been in the, in the recent time I've been here is the advent of people being interested in new destinations, uh, in creating opportunities that have not necessarily been open to students previously, and to continuing to have those dialogues uh, is the really exciting part of what we do, I think. And the students themselves are coming forward and saying, do you have a way for me to do this or that? We have students who want to learn Korean language. We don't have Korean major here or a minor here, but students want to learn other languages uh, that, that are of interest to them in the world. And it's sort of like that. That's how I see it. I'm sure Martin has some other aspects mm -hmm. to contribute to. Yeah, I mean, I think as far as the, the actual like office and operation and scope of what we do, I, I think we probably are right-sized only in the sense that we probably couldn't push that many more students off campus, right, if we, if we wanted to. Otherwise, there wouldn't be very many here uh, just because we are so successful at that. Um, but as Joanna noted, you know, making sure that we are, are flexible and dynamic in our programming uh, and in a way that responds to changes in the field, uh, changes in academic interests, changes in programming at Colgate as we roll out new academic initiatives like mind, brain, and behavior or middle campus um, you know, all those things are, are going to be opportunities for us to to be dynamic and to be changing our programs in response to those changes that are happening on campus. Nice. Well, when it does change, let me know and you can come back and we'll talk about the new program. Sounds good. That'd be fun. Um, are there any places where uh, Colgate hasn't been able to set up study groups for one reason or another that you've wanted to and it just hasn't worked I'm not thinking of any offhand. Um, so we have set up some programs in some challenging places, uh, South Africa being one of the most recent examples uh, where it, it's really just about desire, desire of a group of faculty or a program, desire of students to be able to make that program happen. And then as long as it's feasible and we have good partners on the ground, We'll figure out a way to to manage that and make it work um, as long as we can. Um, I think COVID has thrown that into a, a bit of a, a monkey wrench into that, obviously. And you know, one of the challenges, as Joanna I think mentioned at the the outset, is that COVID has has caused a bit of a re retreat back to Europe in uh, challenging ways. I suppose you know, there's been so much emphasis in the field of trying to broaden from Europe and to make sure that students are engaging in non-traditional locations uh, that, that aren't based in Europe. Not that there's anything wrong with 
being in Europe, but that does put a certain kind of limit on the kinds of experience that students have. Um, and unfortunately, COVID has undone some of that, that work. Um, but I think that that's one of the important aspects to keep pushing on is to, to make sure that both Colgate and the programs that we offer through approved programs are offering that diversity of not only just academic experience, but also geographic and cultural uh, diversity so that our students can, can have that span of experiences available to them. You've made it to question 13. Congratulations. Um, <laughs> is there a prize that we I generally, yeah, the yeah. prize is, a, is generally a question that's a little more fun. Uh -huh. And I, I tried to ask something a little bit different. And I'm wondering if in all of your experience in working with uh, students abroad um, or off campus, um, what is the most uh, bizarre or unique situation you have had to overcome um, where there was uh, someone called and needed help with something? Uh, that is a, you, that's a stumper. That's a stumper. <laughs> there are an awful lot of stories uh, about students and overcoming personal issues to get to a triumphant position, right? I think that the, I don't know that there are any real stumpers. Fortunately, that's good news, isn't it? Because yes. we, <laughs> we have, uh, we've been able to, uh, what are the words we love through COVID? Pivot. Um <laughs> But I think that the story, there are a lot of stories about students who perhaps were less than confident. And I think those are the most exciting stories. Not necessarily things that we can't put together. I think we're very good at problem solving. But I think moreover, students feeling themselves empowered enough to overcome something they felt they couldn't do. Mm -hmm. And then having that triumph at the end to say, wow, I did that. And I'm really proud of myself for that. And those are the things that you know, make us all come to work and do our jobs again and again, because when the students come back and have a word in our ear about, oh, you know, I couldn't, thought I couldn't do this, I did it. And those things are really so affirming. Um, and make this kind of work uh, rewarding in many, many ways, I think, both for faculty leaders and for the off-campus study team. Well, Joanna and Martin, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been great to have you. Thank uh, you, Dan. It's been really great. Yeah, thanks a, thanks a bunch. Sure. Uh, tell your friends and family about the podcast. If you have any questions about off-campus study at Colgate, feel free to email 13 at colgate.edu. That's 13, the number. And until next time, keep asking questions. 13 is a production of the Colgate University Office of University Communications. Executive Producer, Vice President for Communications, Laura Jack. Audio Engineering by Brian Ness. Logo art by Catrail Pritz. Research assistance provided by Colgate sophomore and media relations intern, Mariama Lemon. And I am your host and producer, Dan DeVries. Visit colgatemagazine.com and colgateresearchmagazine.com for more in-depth university news and research stories.